Welcome to Sovereign Grace. My name is Chad. I'm the senior pastor here. If you're a guest, which I know many of you are, because this is a little bit like an Easter service for us. And if you're from Bakersfield, you understand what church in July is like. You sometimes wonder if you should host your services at Pismo Beach, where all the Bakersfield people, in fact, are. So we're thankful you're here if you're a visitor. I do have a new suggestion for the church growth experts. They just invite Vody Bauckham to your church. <laughs> now, without saying a whole lot more, you all know the visitors who are here. You clearly know who Vody is. That's why you've come. Those who are a part of Sovereign Grace, if you do not know him, Vody is someone who's become a friend over the last few years, especially through Founders Ministries, which we've both been involved in in a variety of ways. We both teach at the Institute of Public Theology. Vody happens to be on their board, and we've spoken at their conferences together. He is a man who has been in pastoral ministry for decades now, and he's also been leading the beginning of and growth of a university in Zambia called the African Christian University, a nation that is growing, that is young, that is incredibly stable in Africa, and so thus an educational work that he's involved with there that is an important and worthy cause for the future of Christianity really in Africa, and, and I think globally. So we're thankful that he's involved in that work. We're thankful he's here this morning to address us from the word. So Vody, come on up. Well, good morning. You have your Bibles with you? Please open them to the book of Second Timothy. Say it's a delight and an honor to be here with you on this Lord's Day. And this is Every Lord's Day is a gift and a blessing, but this one is a particular gift and a blessing because after I'm done here, I'm headed to LAX and I'm going home. <laughs> Been here for, I guess, about 10 days now, so that's enough. And I'm going, so pray for me as I head back. I'll get home actually on Tuesday, but it can't come soon enough. Second Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at chapter 3. And I want to address the subject or the topic of the difference between us and them. The difference between us and them. Well, who's us? Who's them? Well, you'll see as we read along. But understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. 
but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God, we thank you for your word. Grant by your grace that our minds may be attentive to your word, that our ears and our hearts may be open to your word, and that our wills might yield to the truths that we learn from your word. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. The difference between us and them. There's a clear division here in this chapter. You look at the first half of the chapter, those first nine verses, and Paul is clearly identifying the sort of spirit of the age. He is identifying godliness out there. And then twice in the second half of the paragraph, first in verse 10 and then in verse 14. In verse 10 he says, you, however. And in 14 he says, but as for you. This clear distinction that he's making between Timothy and those individuals to whom he refers earlier in the chapter. And when we understand that the word of God is written For us, we also understand that distinction that he's making between Timothy and those to whom he refers earlier is also a distinction between those who are following in the faith as Timothy was and those who are continuing to follow in the spirit of the age as those who were identified beforehand. There is a distinction. There is a difference between us and them question is, what is that difference? We don't even like to acknowledge that difference in our day and age. If you've been around for a while, and if you engage at all in any kind of evangelism, then you know that there is a trend, there is a tendency. If you've been around any Christian ministries on a college campus, for example, that trend and that tendency is for people to try to communicate and paint a picture of Christianity that essentially says, don't worry, we're just like you. Don't worry, we're not weird. 
Don't worry. We're not different. Well, I'm here to say that while I understand that, while I get what we're trying to communicate, it's not true. It's not accurate. It's not right. There is a difference between us and them. And one of the reasons that we don't like to acknowledge this is because we've been accused on many occasions, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, then you've probably been accused of thinking that you're better. Amen? Oh, you just think you're better. And we don't like that. We don't want that. We don't want anybody to think that we're looking down on them or that we think we're better. And here's a newsflash. We're not better. Amen? If you think you're better, you've missed it. We're not better. At least not inherently better. And yet, there is still a difference between us and them. What is that difference? Well, let's look at them, shall we? Let's look at that first half more closely. Understand this, that in the last days, by the way, that term, the last days, when you see it in the New Testament, there's a difference between the last days and the last day, especially when day is capitalized. When you see that day capitalized and talk about that day, it's the day of the Lord's coming. It's the day of the end of the age. But when there's a reference to the last days, that's the time between Christ's first and second coming. So for Paul, he was not talking about some time in the future. He was talking about the time in which he lived and in which we live between Christ's first and second coming. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be, look at this, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. That's the spirit of the age. And that's what we want to say no to. Again, I understand why we want to communicate to people, listen, we're not prideful and arrogant. We don't think that we're inherently any better than you are. I understand why we want to communicate to people, no, 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 Christianity's not weird. Christians are not weird. Although, I think we are, but we're just like you. I get it because people are out there and many people think, you know, they want to avoid Christianity because their understanding of Christianity is there's a God who wants to rob you of all joy. And his people are called Christians. And so we're saying, no, 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 not that, not that. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about sin and the spirit of the age that embraces sin, that is characterized by sin, that loves sin, that glorifies sin. And that is not us. There must be a distinction between us and them in that regard. 
We are not like everybody. No, I'm not better than you. But by God's grace, because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life, I'm better than I was. Amen, somebody. I'm better than I was. Because salvation is real. Because sanctification is real. And there is a difference. How ludicrous would it be if I treated my wife the same way that lost and godless men treat theirs? Or if my wife treated me the same way that lost and godless women treat their husbands? How ridiculous would it be if there was no distinction in the way that we as parents treat our children and the way that a lost, hurting, and dying world treats theirs? Or the way that Christian children treat and respect and honor their parents? Do we really want to say that there is no distinction? If so, why do we need Jesus? Riddle me that, Batman. There is a difference. There must be a difference. Because we're called to be holy as he is holy. Listen to this in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. And notice what he says here. He doesn't say that the one who never sins. But the one who doesn't make a practice of sinning. Hebrews. Chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And we've already heard alluded to earlier in our pastoral prayer. Psalm number one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There is a difference. 
There is a difference in character. There is a difference in our ethics. There is a difference in our morals. There is a difference in our behavior. There is a difference in our righteousness. There is a difference in our holiness. There must be. And I think one of the greatest tools that Satan has used is that deceptive idea that as Christians, we need to put everybody at ease by making it clear that we are no different than anyone else. God forbid. God forbid. There is a difference. When you look at the spirit of the age, when you look at the sin that defines the spirit of the age, there better be a difference. The other reason that we run away from this is because we want to run away from legalism. And that's right. We should run away from legalism. We don't want to be those people who say that we're right with God because of the things we do or because of the things that we don't do. Because that's not the case. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Amen? We are not right with God because of what we do. We're not right with God because of what we don't do. We don't want to be those people who are caught up in legalism and self-righteousness. We don't want to be those people who believe that if we just get on the hamster wheel and stay on the hamster wheel, that that will make us right with God because we're on the hamster wheel. And because we tick off boxes, that's legalism, that's bondage. There is no liberty there. There is no life there. I saw a picture of this in Israel. I love being in Israel. Going to Israel, lead a tour later this year. But there are parts of being in Israel that just are heartbreaking. And one of the things that was heartbreaking, I remember the first time that I encountered the Shabbat elevator. The Shabbat, Sabbath. The Shabbat elevator is a different elevator. So you stand in a hotel and there's multiple elevators, but one of those elevators is the Shabbat elevator. And the difference between the Shabbat elevator and the other elevators is that this elevator is set to stop at every floor and open up so that observant Jews don't have to push the button. That is bondage. That's what legalism looks like. And we are absolutely right to say no to that. We are absolutely right to say that that is not what it means To be a Christian, it's not what it means to be right with God. But the problem with legalism is not that it's inherently wrong to obey the law of God. The problem with legalism is that it puts the emphasis on the different syllable. I do not pursue holiness and righteousness so that I can be right with God. I pursue holiness and righteousness because Christ has made me right with God. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, new things have come. Listen, when you're in Christ, he changes your want to. Amen? He changes what you desire. He changes what pleases you. All at once? Absolutely not. 
But more today than yesterday and more tomorrow than today, we are being sanctified. We are not like the world. Better than the world? No, I'm not better. But I'm definitely better off because of the person and work of Christ. Shame on us if people are attracted to Christianity because they look at our lives and say, you're no different than me. No. No, when they look at our lives, they should absolutely know and absolutely recognize that we are unlike the world. Not only that, but even in our influence, look at verse 6. By the way, notice the way verse 5 ends. Avoid such people. We definitely don't like that, right? But, folks, I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. Avoid such people. Why? Listen, bad company corrupts good morals. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the truth. So notice that the difference between us and them is not only in our character, in our righteousness and pursuit thereof, but also in our influence and impact in those around us. And finally, verse 8, just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so those men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. They opposed the truth. We don't oppose the truth. So that's them. So the difference between us and them is seen in the way we conduct our lives. It's seen in our ethics It's seen in our lifestyle. It's seen in our morality. But there's a surprise here when you look at verses 10 through 13. The difference between us and them doesn't always pay temporal dividends. And this is the difference between some teachers out there. Health, wealth, prosperity, gospel people, for example, right? These people who believe that, you know, as a Christian, God never wants you sick. God never wants you poor. God never wants you, right? You're the head and not the tail, right? You're the, yeah, again, all this sort of stuff that we hear over and over again. These are the people who, when you ask them how they're doing, they'll never be honest with you. It's always, ah, I'm blessed and highly favored, right? You know, these folks, these folks who believe that if you just name it, you can claim it, right? You confess it, you can possess it, and there's... Huge problems with that, not least of which is that it doesn't work. Those people get sick and die too. Amen, every last one of them. But also, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that when we come to Christ and Christ transforms us, the result will be everybody will love us and our life will be great. Verse 10. You, however, you're not like them. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. 
which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And in case you think that Paul is just unique, he makes it clear. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And as if that's not bad enough, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's awful. It's awful. But it's the absolute truth. There's a question I'm asked frequently. And people will say, why is it? I mean, if God is holy and he's righteous and he's just and God loves his church and he protects his church, then why? Why are so many of these wicked, heretical, false teachers preaching in front of churches filled to the brim with thousands upon thousands and tens of thousands. Why? It's like if I was God, I'd just zap those places, right? Why? And my answer is because the Bible is true. That's why. Because the Bible is true. Not only here, look at verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, Deceiving and being deceived. That's what we're seeing. Evil people and imposters going from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Some of them are deceived. Some false teachers are absolutely deceived. They don't know any better. They're still in trouble, but they're deceived. Others know that they're lying. They absolutely know that they're lying. They're the people who have the healing crusade where when it's time for the laying on of hands, all the really sick people are moved so that the plants are brought up to the front. Some are deceived and some are deceivers. But Not only do we have that, go down to chapter 4 and look at verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Why are false teachers so successful? Because the Bible is absolutely true. That's why. It's what we've been told. It's what we've been told. but also because Satan is real and he is busy and he is crafty. And these places gather them and deceive them into believing that they're us. They're goat farms. And it's horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. And so, no, there is no absolute one-to-one correlation between being genuinely saved and born again and transformed and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and experiencing temporal favor among men. In fact, it's the opposite. And Jesus told us that. If the world hated me, it will also hate you. Because it sees the difference between us and them as well. Finally, 
Look down beginning at verse 14. We see that last but as for you. And this gets to the crux of the matter. We see the difference between us and them in their lives, in their morality, and lack thereof. We see that the difference between us and them doesn't bring this automatic correlation in terms of temporal blessing or favor. We see that the difference between us and them is rooted and grounded in something very specific. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. The message of the scriptures, the message of the gospel, the message of the person and work of Christ. The message that says that all of us were them. Amen? That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous, no, not even one. The the message that says God was not looking for people who could somehow be good enough because there are no people who could somehow be good enough. The message that says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. This message that says our holy and righteous God who must and will punish sin, all sin everywhere, has made a way of salvation. And that way of salvation is not you trying hard enough or being good enough because that would not pay the price and the debt you owe. Every other religion can basically be summarized like this. You need to have some kind of religious experience and then do more good stuff than bad stuff and hope for the best when you die. Oversimplification, just barely. That is the essence of every religion, but not of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. The message of Christianity is the message that Isaiah confirms for us. All we like sheep had gone astray. Each one had turned to his own way, but God hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Even if I have a religious experience, and even if after my religious experience, I do my absolute best to keep rules, I do my absolute best to tick boxes. I do my absolute best to fulfill requirements. There's a couple of questions that have to be answered. Number one, what about the sin you committed before your religious experience? What about that? And number two, what about the fact that you can't be good? You can't. You can't. I've tried it failed. Everyone who's tried it has failed. 
And then those who've tried it and think they haven't failed have been guilty of the sin of pride. So now you've got to start over. Do we actually believe that we can, in thought, word, and deed, achieve the perfect righteousness that the law of God absolutely requires? We know better than that. We know better than that. But the gospel has an answer. And that answer is Christ who was born of a virgin so that he did not inherit original sin from Adam, who kept the whole law so that he was actually righteous before God, who then died a vicarious, substitutionary, atoning death so that in his sinlessness, he didn't have any sins to pay for himself so that his death could count for those who did have sins to pay for, who rose again on the third day, For our justification, so that we know that his death was accepted by God, so that God, as Paul says in Romans, can be both just, in that he pours out his wrath on sin, and the justifier of the one who places faith in Jesus. So that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, and we stand before God, clean, pure, holy, And that our sinfulness is imputed to Christ so that the debt that we owed was actually paid. There is nowhere else in the world where these questions are answered adequately. None. None. Except God's revealed word in the scriptures, in the Bible. And then we end where we began. Look at verse 16. All scripture, the scripture is where we get the gospel, right? These sacred writings can make us wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. And then all scripture is breathed out by God. It's the very breath of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What's the difference between us and them? The gospel that we encounter in the word of God wherein and whereby we're saved, and the life that we continue in the word of God, wherein and whereby we're sanctified. That's the difference between us and them. Or if you'd like, that's the difference between me before Christ and me after Christ. And it can be the difference between you before Christ And you, after Christ, if you flee from sin, if you flee from self-righteousness, if you flee from trusting in or depending on anything other than the person and work of Christ, if you flee to the foot of the cross, throw yourself on God's mercy And trust him and him alone for your salvation. That's the difference. And the difference is real. The difference is lasting. 
And the difference is an incredible blessing, not only for you, but to all of those with whom God brings you into contact. Not because you're better, but because you are an ambassador to one who absolutely is. To Christ. To the Savior of the world who is our only hope and not ours alone, but the hope of any and everyone who would ever be made right with God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who alone can rescue us from our sin, and the God who not only saves us but indwells us through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you and we praise you for the glorious message of the gospel. We praise you and we thank you for the glorious work of your Son. We praise you and we thank you for the glorious gift of salvation. And ask that you might grant by your grace that we would be ambassadors of that great news and that great gift in the midst of a hurting and dying world. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.